Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way Podcast. Welcome to another 3D conversation. I am loving this format. Um, I've had, I've recorded, I don't know if they'll be posted by the time you hear this. I've recorded one with Virginia on social justice, one with my David Castle, my friend David on masculinity. Um, I got more to come. Um, today, though, I'm very excited to be sitting with two of my favorite humans in the world, uh, Alan Prussian and Shakti Dudley. I've known Alan for many years, well over a decade, I think, probably 2010 or 11 is when we met. Um, Alan is in the Philadelphia area and is a coach and a consultant uh, who on the surface looks like a guy in his mid-50s who does coaching and consulting. He's a little bit of a he's a little bit of a ninja when it comes to the topic of today. And then Shakti is a dear friend who uh, I'll get to meet in person uh, when she is here for Virginia and I's wedding uh, next week. Um, whenever you listen to that, the wedding's on 11-11. Anyway, Shakti is based in Durango and has also been a business coach and consultant, but has been on an interesting spiritual path uh, for many years. And um, welcome. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Nice to be with so you, Justin. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you guys here. How did you guys meet? Well, we were working with uh, the same company. I had uh, joined first and then Shakti joined not terribly long thereafter, uh, a couple thousand miles in distance, but we did end up, uh, you know, being face to face at various company functions. And that's where we uh, built our relationship. Great. And so you guys, as I recall, worked together. I, I knew that part of the story a little bit, but it started off where, Alan, you were a client of Shakti's, correct? Yeah, so shortly, I think Shakti left that organization prior to me, and then I left uh, a little bit thereafter. And I was on my uh, own journey about uh, my life and, and my professional future, and something felt uh, missing in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, so I reached out to Shakti knowing her long, deep, uh, and when you say she's been working on spirituality, I would say it's been decades, not years. And mm -hmm. uh, so I reached out to her and we had some a couple conversations and I ended up hiring her as you could say, both my spiritual and life coach. Nice. And Very still good. is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great. That's great. And one of the things of the many things I love about you guys as individuals and as a, as a as a team is that you bring so much wisdom to the world. Now we live in an era where wisdom is far less about age than it used to be. Um, in the sense that there are many young people, um, that have a lot of wisdom through their own experiences and, and, and journey and whatnot. But there's something about that combination of time and experience um, and then two people on a spiritual journey that still are in the business world, still very much in the business world. And um, there's a natural sim simpatico with what Virginia and I are doing with Massive as well. This belief that 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 there's this new spiritual awakening happening within the business community, within the business world. For context, before we get into the first D of deep dive, what is your religious background? Uh, whether and you can answer that however you want, Shakti. What was your what's your religious background? 
Uh, well, my family is Jewish. Okay. And um, I grew up with um, my grandparents, of course, my parents, my aunts and uncles and cousins. And we recognized and, you know, we're holding the traditional Jewish holidays as sacred. And I learned a lot from my grandfather in particular, uh, mm. my mother's father, um, who I didn't really have a very strong connection with at all. He was a very strange human being. But I deeply, as a child, appreciated the stories he would tell on the Jewish holidays about mm. the history. And it stuck with me. And to to this day, I honor and celebrate, even though I'm not religious, I'm mm -hmm. very spiritual, mm -hmm. but I could feel the spirituality within the traditions of the religion of Judaism. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I honor them to honor the history and the generations and what the Jewish people went through. And I look for the spirituality in the holiday. Beautiful. Thank you, Alan. Uh, yes, I too uh, have been raised Jewish. Um, it's been, you know, a pretty big part of my life and how I was raised. I went to a, a Jewish overnight camp for uh, several summers, and my children did as well. And there's something uh, magical, we believe, in uh, in Jewish camping and helping young people create Jewish identity. Um, I was the only son of my parents. They had three children, and they decided that when they got married, their first son would have his bar mitzvah in Israel. So I did that. I had my bar mitzvah both at the uh, Western Wall in Israel and also on the top of Masada in my Miami Dolphin sweatshirt that I, I remember from, from the 1973 team. And so, um, you know, for, for me, it's been a big part of my life. The stories that Shakti points to uh, also... Uh, is a part of my life. And, you know, Passover is about the Jews coming out of Egypt. And in my family, that has a deeper meaning because my mother was born in Egypt and, and left Egypt at the end of the Second World War. So, you know, that always had a deeper meaning for, for us because it literally was my mother left Egypt just, you know, a few thousand years later. So. Right. Wow, that's cool. I did not know that part of your story. Yeah. So I wouldn't consider myself a very uh, religious person. I'd like to say I'm a pra uh, somewhat practicing Jew. And also, um, you know, my Jewish identity is very important mm -hmm. to me and to my family. That's great. And I proper credit to Krista Tippett from On Being when she interviews somebody that's where the, on the topic of spirituality, she asked that question. I think it's fascinating from a context standpoint, because both of you so both of you come out of two very established institutions. One is Judaism and the other is corporate America. <laughs> uh, and yet here you are building this, this uh, practice of enlightening leaders. And so what I'm curious about, actually, I have one more question before we get into the 3D questions, because I think it's good for context. Uh, I have the curse of the fact that I know you guys extremely well and I'm forgetting that the audience may not. So the the question is, is for each of you, and Shakti, please go first, is when did you start to see 
like it became very clear to you to see the convergence between spirituality and leadership or in business leadership. When did that start to become real for you? And Alan, the same question to you. Go ahead, Shakti. Um, <clears throat> well, I've been in this game for 45 years. I'm now 71. Mm. And I started when I was 25. And began with uh, organizational transformation, you know, organizations really taking on transforming their leadership, transforming teams using the power of language to do that. But there was always this piece that I saw, even back then, that what really was my skill and the skill that was needed to transform an organization was galvanizing the human spirit, mm -hmm. which is different than organizing people to you know, be on teams and produce results. And all of that's an important and all good work. But if we didn't focus on galvanizing the human spirit and really diving into what that means and what that looks like for each and every human being in the organization, not much really changed. And, mm -hmm. you know, Justin, companies invest an enormous amount of money in change management. Yeah. Right. And they put all their effort into change management. But if you don't get to the heart of the matter and really look at changing human behavior from the inside out, nothing's going to change. So it started back then and it wove its way through the decades. But it was really when I went through a major breakdown in my own life that caused me to leave my company of 10 years in Los Angeles that I built in this field and moved to Colorado in 1993 to heal myself and to connect with my own spirit and to follow masters that I could trust to teach me about how do you do that? Mm. How do you follow your own spirit and how do you follow spiritual law? The laws of spirit, which are different than the laws that govern our organizations and our humanity. Right. And that journey is what had me really make the connection. And then, of course, once it, it took me years to heal myself mm -hmm. and the pain of my past. But once I did, and I was following, a, I call it really connecting vertically, mm -hmm. connecting to my source, connecting to my higher self, my great self, my human self and the power of my connection with mother earth. When that took hold, then the opening happened for me to bridge the gap between spirituality and leadership. Wow. Beautiful. Did I set. answer your question? Yes, you did. Beautiful <laughs> okay. set. Alan, how about you? When did you start to see in your work in particular, this convergence? Well, I guess for me, it, it, it was also a, a long journey. When I started to see it, I, I, I'm not sure it's probably more recent, much more recent than what Shakti described. But I, I noticed throughout my lifetime, there were, you know, I'm, I'm a, a very um, uh, demonstrative individual and uh, can generate or can be very energetic. But I noticed throughout my lifetime, there were things that really moved me. Um, I remember uh, I was talking about the summer 
camp. And, uh, you know, I, I would be very energized by what we would have as song sessions. And many of them were, you know, we did it after meals and many of the songs were in Hebrew, not all of them. And, you know, maybe it wasn't cool back in the late seventies for, you know, a guy to be into the music, but I, it really touched my soul. I didn't understand it at the time. And mm -hmm. then my first, uh, but I, but I knew that it, it, it moved me uh, at a deep level. And then uh, when I got my first job as a, a manager, uh, I was pretty uh, driven. Uh, but I also recognized that each person in my organization offered something different. And I, I really took on, you know, trying to leverage the individual uh, and not just focus on the results. Um, you know, I have a very dear friend who at one point worked for me and uh, she joked, yeah, the tissue box in your office is for me because she would come in and share things and she would get upset and cry. But I, I learned the importance of having a certain amount of empathy for people, which was really not part of who I was at the time. Um, but I could see how that really empowered her to be a better person and a better employee. And so that's when I started to, to see that, wait a second, being a leader doesn't mean that you can't have a connection with the people you lead and you can't support them at an emotional level. You don't need to just be their boss and manage the action and the results. So it started then. And then quite frankly, <clears throat> as I started to work with Shakti uh, in the last four plus years, uh, Shakti helped give me language and understanding around what was already <clears throat> in my spirit. My number one passion athletically is is skiing, and I feel at-peaceness at when I'm skiing. And part of that at-peaceness is my connection to Mother Earth and the environment in which I'm skiing. And that's a uniquely spiritual experience for me. It's also athletic, but it's very, very spiritual. And I never really saw it that way until Shakti helped me distinguish that for myself. Wow. So a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year, it started to, time is weird. You guys came to me and said, we got this idea, got this idea. We're going to team up and we're going to coach. We're going to create these experiences and we're going to coach leaders that have had some that have some sort of spiritual awakening or going through the process of a spiritual awakening and um you came in and you you guys brought me in to help with the sort of the brand strategy and the messaging of this venture and so i've got this very like inside the you know inside baseball view of how you how you guys are putting things out into the world now and and so, but I wanted to take it up to this, the first thing is as we dive into the concept and the concept is uh, enlightening leaders is an enlightening leader, not enlightened because as Shakti once pointed out, it's a perpetual thing. Um, and, but certainly around leader, which in most cases in modern society is a business leader there, you know, there are exceptions to that, but the people that are most, that have the most people that they're responsible for outside of elected officials who do kind of a shitty job at that anyway, are business leaders. Um, so um, 
what I'm curious about is because that's a unique term in lightning leader, what does it mean to you? Shakti, what does that mean to you? And then Alan, you go to be an enlightening leader. Well, it's a pretty deep question, Justin. It's not a quick answer, but I'll do my best to keep it as concise as I can. Um, <clears throat> when you've had a spiritual awakening of some kind, something happens to you energetically. And when you have a spiritual awakening and you go back into everyday life, something's distinct. And sometimes you can't quite sort out this spiritual awakening that you've had or that you're in the midst of or an experience that you would call spiritual. And how do you ground that into your leadership? And, you know, leadership just isn't just in your business. Leadership is in every single area of your life. Because what leaders focus on is the future. They don't focus on the past. They're committed to inventing a new future that creates a possibility for everyone. So how do you bridge enlightenment, which is attaining spiritual wisdom and knowledge? It's a pathway. Enlightenment has been around for thousands of years, but it's kind of a taboo word in the business world. And there's nothing taboo about it. Because becoming and being an enlightening, because Alan and I and you, we are enlightening leaders. We are being and becoming an enlightening leader. There's no period at the end of the sentence. You don't become enlightened and it's over. Right. Because on this journey of enlightenment, this is a mountain that has no top. So being an enlightening leader is about developing on an ongoing basis a very strong muscle of faith and a very strong muscle of connecting to these spiritual laws that I mentioned earlier. They're, they're universal laws that have been around since the beginning of time that are the underpinnings of everything in life but nobody has taught us what they are. Mm -hmm. So in this journey that Alan and I are going to be teaching the universal laws and how to embody them, because an enlightening leader embodies the universal laws, thinks from them, acts from them, speaks from them. Hmm. So there's a lot more that I can say, but I'll yeah, we'll get into that more I'll of it. That's a, good, that's a good baseline. Alan, how about you? What's, how do you define an enlightening leader? Well, first of all, let me say, because you set it up with us reaching out to you to work on the, the branding, you know, getting to the word enlightening took something because we, we didn't focus, you know, we thought about enlightened. And the reality is it's, a process, not a destination. And so uh, for me, it really is opening up one's heart in a way that is not encouraged, embraced, or taught to leaders. You know, if you, I, I remember when I was 
early in my business career, you know, I was taught two things you don't talk about are religion and politics, right? right. And, and while there's some value to that, you know, you can talk about these things in a respectful way. Uh, but I, I also, early in my career, saw when I was in sales at 22 years old, selling to CFOs, that there was like two sides of me, the, the professional side and the personal side, and I behaved differently. The truth is that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as two different me's. There's right. only me. Right. And so, uh, you know, that's was my evolution or enlightenment over the course of my life is that I was one person and that I could bring all of me to my work. Yeah. And the more that I saw my ability to do that, the more effective I became and the more um, success I had and those around me had. So for me, enlightenment really and in, uh, is about people getting in touch with their authentic selves in a way that they have never been trained to do and then being able to express that in all areas of their life mm -hmm. at home at work in their volunteerism going through the airport uh literally in every interaction they have with another human being yeah and that really is what enlightenment is like mm -hmm. you know when when i have an interaction with another human being and they we separate our interaction and they feel better seen heard as a result of our interaction yeah interesting that's yeah and i think i mean this is more of the debunking part of the conversation but how what you said alan about we're expected to live kind of split lives um you know we are it's interesting we're multi-dimensional creatures you know you get into like internal family systems and Jungian psychology and all these various parts of the mind. But underneath it is also, as Jung said, there's a soul, a true self, and that's us. And so my definition, if it's of in, in the interest of when I talk about enlightening leaders and what you guys are doing is an enlightening leader is a leader that is uh, connected to and directed by reality. Um, that's how I describe it, because reality is a capital R and this idea that spirituality is something separate from day-to-day -day life is an illusion, um, mostly related, in my opinion, to sort of patriarchal structures and religious institution structures, especially around Christianity. If this, uh, this, this thing that you do separately, or it's that church state thing that has led to more, you know, genocide in the world than any other uh, combination. Um, so when we think about being an enlightening leader in the business world, um, what is what is a day in the life of an enlightening leader like? And Shakti, go you go first. I would love to hear both of your takes on this because you you guys are have a beautiful connection, but you're very different personality wise and background wise. So that's why I'm asking you both the same question because of that contrast. So, what is a day in the life of an enlightening leader at work? Well. It starts with a morning practice. Before I go to the office, right, I go to my higher office <laughs> and I connect with 
my higher boss. So it's important as an enlightening leader to develop a practice, a spiritual practice and discipline that quiets the mind, quiets all the physical, sensorial sensations that are going on in the body and come into silence. And that is not an easy thing for leaders today to learn how to do. You know, a lot of leaders will get up at 4, 5, 5.30 in the morning and go work out before they go to the office. That's fantastic. But this is an added discipline that's needed to strengthen your ability to listen in the quiet. So that's that's kind of the number one thing. Mm-hmm. And that listening, then you bring to the office that silence, that space of being grounded and centered in your vertical connection. You bring that into every meeting. You bring that into every conversation. Enlightening leaders are calm. They're not riled up. They're calm and peaceful in the face of challenging circumstances or challenging conversations which leaders have to have every day but there's a sense of calm there's a sense of going in this happened to alan and i last week working it with a, a corporate client where the room was high and full of ex- participation and excitement and somebody said something and the whole room took a nosedive mm-hmm. and there we were in the face of it And we had to practice being an enlightening leader right in that moment. We didn't tell them that, but there we were. I was standing in front of the room, being in that funky energy that happened, and I was praying. I was literally praying, praying for guidance, and it came, and I heard what to do. I wrote Alan a little sticky note. You know, he wrote me back. He said, go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, So we had alignment between us. And then I spoke what my listening gave me. And that is a direct practice of being an enlightening leader. Not to react, but to get quiet, pray, and then speak from your listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I'll stop there. <laughs> Alan, how about you? What is What do you see a so, day in the life? Yeah, you know. I'm just going to build a little bit on what Shakti uh, said. Um, she spoke about listening. And, of course, that's critically important. Um, I'm not sure that most people are trained to listen for the gold in what people share. Uh, good listening skills are... Uh, hard to come by. People are usually, we listen for uh, what we're going to say, right? So we're not really listening. We're trying to figure out what we're going to say next. Um, So there's another skill that Shakti and I have been trained in and continually to develop ourselves in, and that's looking. Not looking like just we're looking out of our glasses, which is part of it, but it's it's a 
uh, a peripheral looking, very wide looking, uh, which is another way of exploration. And, and looking is different than thinking because thinking we use our brain and looking, we actually, when you say a day in a life, I could literally close my eyes and picture, okay, the guy, the, the CEO gets up at 4.30 in the morning, they drink, you know, whatever they uh, do first thing in the morning, then they go to the workout and I can picture every step of their day. That's a form of looking. Well, that's not the only, I mean, there's, you can look in a lot of different directions, right? We're just looking at the daily actions, right? In my example. And so for me, a day in the life of a uh, enlightened leader is someone that when they're in their meetings is the most effective skill set that they possess is the powerful questions they ask and the probing questions they ask and the listening and the looking they bring to the conversation and they speak last not first other than their questions uh <clears throat> so for me that's what a lightning leader does and they don't come at it from i have to know the answer they are secure in their own self that they don't need the answer the answer will emerge in the space that they create with the people in the room and the in, uh, and the inquiry that they guide the conversation hmm. that is what an enlightening leader does daily and right. Um, Shakti talked about, you know, they are calm and I'll take it the next step further. They bring calm to the situation and to the environment. Mm. So most people don't stay calm when there's a said poorly, an urgent situation. And an enlightening, enlightened or enlightening leader brings the calm that allows for people to think and process what's happening in an appropriate way, not in a frenetic pace or, or a frenetic mind. Okay. Yeah, Shakti, go ahead. I just want to add a caveat to what Alan brilliantly just spoke. That was awesome, Alan. <laughs> Thank you. An enlightening leader in the midst of their day and all the meetings that they have with their staff, with their stakeholders, with their customers, with their executive teams, they don't speak from I. They don't speak from their identity, I. Mm -hmm. When they're looking and listening, the universal law of what's in the highest and best good for all concerned in this situation is predominantly where they look from. Hmm. It is, you could say, the universal law of all universal laws. Hmm. And if we look at what's happening in the world, not just organizations, but in our world, and the suffering and the warring that's mm -hmm. going on in our world, we can see that that universal law is absent. Yeah. It is completely absent. And if those leaders were enlightening leaders, none of what's going on in the world would be going on. Right. Which and is why we're doing this. 
Exactly. And I think what's fascinating about what you guys are doing is um, you're stripping away a lot of the social conditioning about these concepts. And there is just an emergence now with everything from, you know, plant medicine to um, there's, you know, this kind of renewed interest in indigenous wisdom in the modern world. And it's all kind of this bubbling, but people have a lot of frameworks, especially in Western society, especially in American culture, especially in American corporate culture, a lot of frameworks where they have to do what is common in the world of Christianity that I'm in, so, sort of, as deconstruction, as deconstructing of what it means to be a leader, the deconstructing of business, um, and the idea that, again, spirituality is something you do after you lead, not how you lead. Um, and that it's private and only, you know, you keep that to yourself at home. Um, I recall a, um, a, a many years ago, probably a decade ago, I was doing a workshop for Verizon and it was all IT people. And there was one man in the front and he had, he just had different energy. And this was early on in my own awakening, maybe even pre-awakening. Um, but he had a little, like a bracelet on and he had a book on meditation that was on the desk. And this is like, straight out of corporate America and a big giant building in New Jersey, all these people, you know, mostly men in, you know, the, the uh, slacks and a no shirt or no tie shirt, you know, that kind of classic look, but he was different. And I, uh, and he, he had this book on sitting there and I asked him on a break. I said, what's that book about? And he said, it's about meditation, et cetera, et cetera, or mindfulness and meditation. I said, what, why are you reading it? And he goes, so I can survive this place. <laughs> and I, I remember though, thinking in my heart, it's like, well, that's not, that's not, I mean, survival is not leadership. Certainly there's a time of enduring, but most of the shit in a business in the business world is existential in the, to begin with. And to me, enlightening is the opposite being enlightening, being an enlightening leader is the opposite of being an existential crisis leader, right. you know, where they, where they, where there's this over indexing of this, what I call data worship or this over indexing of this obsession of fixation with finishing, um, getting things done and GSD, you know, get shit done productivity. Not that those aren't important, but it's missing the point here that if you are a leader if you are a leader, if that is your role, whether or not you ask for it or not, you're, there is a almost moral responsibility to get your spiritual shit together so you can do a better job, not just survive the place in air yeah. quotes. And I love that he was different. I love that he brought that book and everything. I'm not judging him. I just was thinking that's not that's not far enough. Well, Justin, this you know what I'd like you to consider is that where he was is on his spiritual path. And he True. was at a certain place in that journey. I hope at some point he realized, no, my, you know, having access to my spirit and being able to work in a place that allows for my spirit to be alive is what I need to create in my life. Yes. And I hope he got there. Yes. And so he was just, I would say he was just in one place in his spiritual journey. And I was in the same place at one point where I, ultimately left the place because I'm like, this is inconsistent with who I am. 
Yes. But and we have to, you know, we, we still have to think about, oh, how do I make a living and, and have that? Oh, all yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, we we hear that with, you know, um, and th this is for framework or context to listeners, the relationship between what you guys are doing with Enlightening Leaders and what Virginia and I are doing with Massive is around spiral dynamics, which is your, as you raise your level of consciousness, you have this initial awakening and it goes to this me phase. Oh, I got to change my life. Well, if you're a business leader, you go to a different kind of we phase. It's not just your family. It's your people you're responsible for. And then out to everyone, which is around systemic change. And we play in that space between we to everyone and you guys, not to overly position you, are playing in that space where they're they're waking up and they need to be, learn how to be different leaders. And I think that is so fascinating around that, around the fact that, and I go back to David Hawkins's map of consciousness where courage is in the middle and the amount of courage it takes to be a spiritual, a spirit led, a, a source led person in the business world. When everybody is talking about ROI and KPIs and not that those are wrong or bad, but they're, they're treated as gods. Um, and the, 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 and what, what you're doing is you're offering, you're showing that there's a different way to lead based off of being connected to your own soul. And I think that's so hugely important right now. Let's get into debunking a little bit because you guys, as we are at Massive, we are we are early movers in this. You know, the, the consciousness industry is growing and um, I'm proud to be a founding member of a group called Consciousness Leaders and and as a 53-year-old straight white American male, I go out and talk to a lot of white faces about these ideas in the business world. And it's often met with some combination of derision to, to dismissiveness. Um, and so I'm really curious from a debunking standpoint, I would love to hear from each of you, from both of you, two myths about spirituality and business that you would like to blow up two myths that you would like to blow up because there's so many, because like I said, we're deconstructing, we're, we're, we're unlearning, we're, we're, we're waking up from, but what are two myths that you would like to debunk right now? Well, one uh -huh. is that they're separate. Yeah. That okay. spirituality and leadership are separate. Okay. I think Alan and I are committed to blowing that one up. Okay. And so are you in Virginia. That's correct. And the truth is, I think that's true for many, many, many leaders. Hmm. This CEO of this company that Alan and I are working for right now is a perfect example of that. This man leads from his heart. He leads from his soul and he leads from his spirit. And he is an absolute business leader. But he's not he's not separate. For I mean, that's my experience of him. Wouldn't you say, Alan? Oh, without question. So that that's number one. Um, and I think that's true for whether you're a leader, a manager, a coach, an employee. I think that's true for every human being. Hmm. I think people today are really discouraged. I, I lead a community of light group for the last two and a half years every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, we just had 
112, our 112th meeting last Sunday. And there's a woman that I've known for 45 years in that community. And we were talking about trust as an aspect of oneness, because that's what the enlightening leader's journey is about. It's about the oneness of spirit and leadership, not the separation. That needs to be blown apart. And she said, I do not trust any leaders anywhere. Mm. And I, God, when she said it, I could feel my heart like went, oh, you know. Mm. And then right after she said it, she goes, oh, my God, that really hurt me in my body when I said that. Mm. And it's that, Justin. It's, I think leadership is has got to be reinvented. It has to be recontextualized. The more better and different forms of leadership, more results, better results, different results, proving ourselves to be number one in the industry, you know, all of the stuff that leaders are measured by, not that there's anything wrong with it, but when it's missing the other half of the equation, of what it means to be a spiritual human being and bring that into our leadership, we've got to recontextualize and reinvent the very language of what it means to be a leader and what it means to be spiritual. That needs to get debunked as Mm -hmm. well because spirituality is all around us. Every moment of every day, we are literally one with everything. And I think that concept of being in oneness needs to be further explored and investigated so it means something to people. And it's not some woo-woo. We're not doing anything (laughs) woo-woo. I was waiting for one of you to debunk the myth of woo-woo. Uh, yeah. too. So yes, yeah, so we're not doing anything. That's why I say an enlightening leader is someone that is connected to and directed by reality. So you, you know what? Here's what's woo-woo. Here's what's woo-woo. Just as a, as a branding guy in the business world still. What's woo-woo is hoping that marketing will make your shit sandwich of a culture into an ice cream cone. Right. There is more delusional almost evangelical nuttiness in the corporate world. They just don't call it that. It's this this weird, it's prosperity doctrine is everywhere. There's nothing more fucking woo-woo than prosperity doctrine within, within, you know, Christianity in particular. So I love that you said that. And it bugs me when I hear people say, oh, that's too woo-woo for me. It's like, okay, thank you for revealing your biases. We're going to have a different conversation now. So Alan, go ahead. Uh, there's, uh, several things that I want to kind of get to here. Um, I'm, I'm looking something up right now, but, um, I went, I got a business degree and it was a finance degree. And of course I was taught that the, um, the objective of a business is to maximize shareholder value. But the truth of the matter is that concept only came into existence in the mid to late 70s. Before that, that was not the purpose of a business. Yes. It's why a lot of businesses 
you know, prior to that, we talk about family companies and family values and 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 whatnot. And so it somehow got bastardized to say that the purpose of the business is to maximize shareholder value. And everything was directed towards that, whoever the owner was. And obviously, if it's a publicly traded company, that's who we're talking about, the shareholders, right? Um, the truth is, it's already changing. And people don't even realize it because they're not in uh, in, in understanding that in 2019, uh, the CEO roundtable, I'm, I'm using the wrong term, but it's a, a roundtable of top CEOs of Fortune 500 companies that meets regularly, actually redefined the purpose of a corporation. And they spoke about, you, you can look it up, but they spoke about, you know, serving all the stakeholders of a business, not just the shareholders. Right. Okay. And what enlightening leaders looks like in a daily basis. I got two wonderful examples. The founder and CEO of, uh, of Southwest Airlines used to say, I'll take care of my people. My pay people will take care of my customers and my customers will take care of my bottom line. So right. his attention was on his people. Right. And and most leaders in that generation didn't lead that way. Right. That's what it looks like in a daily basis. Yeah. It, it, and COVID hit and um, Airbnb basically got shut down because there was no travel. Right. And to your point uh, earlier where uh, enlightenment isn't limited to age, Mark mm -hmm. Brian Chesky, who's the founder and CEO of Airbnb, you know, had to lay people off and, you know, how are we going to do this? And what are we going to do? And he's like, we have to look at our values. What are our values? Because if we don't use them now, when are we going to be using them? And their values basically created that, we value our people. Okay, well, what does that look like if you have to lay people off because right. they didn't do anything wrong? Right. Right. And you can go, you know, find on the internet interviews and articles that uh, were written about what they did, but they took care of the people they laid off more than any company in America because he was looking from what's in the highest and best good for all involved. So don't tell me that you can have spirit and business operate together because he's looking at it and saying, well, how would I want to be treated if this was, I was on the other end of this stick. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't create this virus, yep. right? He, he offered so much job. He was helping, not he personally, but the organization was going to help employees get jobs with their competitors. Yep. Why? Because he wanted to be of service to those people. And Oh, by the way, if the, opportunity came for them to come back to his company that's what he wanted he wanted them to feel served to the extent possible after he had to fire them yes that's what enlightening leadership looks like on a daily basis so right. when people say they can't coexist i say bullshit it's already happening what's not happening is your awareness or awakening to the fact that it's happening right in front of you Right. And, and brilliantly said, Alan, just, I got so turned on. <laughs> and what's needed 
And these are the conversations that I'm engaged in with certain leaders right now that are looking at coming to participate with us because we're going to have a three-day introductory retreat in January and March of next year before the whole 15-month Enlightening Leaders journey starts in later 2024 to give people a taste of what it is because leaders have to get off the hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. You have to stop. Get off the hamster wheel. Get mm -hmm. out of the busyness. Take yourself out of that environment and come into a safe environment with masterful coaches who are going to guide you in how to stop and listen and look and be and right. rest and restore and then rethink and re-inspire and re-envision. But first, you got to stop the craziness. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think that's one of the myths that we point out to is, again, the prioritization. Um, I love that when I asked you earlier, Shakti, what's the life and the day in the, day in the life of an enlightening leader? It starts off with a morning practice. And um, and it's and nothing tears you away from reality like modern life, right? You know, from from the the whole system. And I'm not, I don't think it's all necessarily by design that we're being distracted because we're being manipulated and blah blah blah. Maybe I don't know. I I got shit to do and people to lead, so I don't. I'm not really worried about why the deck the deck is stacked against enlightening leaders, but we have to learn that there there are like these must-haves in your daily life and then they're not really optional i would also throw this out too never done plant medicine don't judge it i know people that have love it some love it some don't or you know go to a 10-day silent retreat all that if it is fine um but that's not enlightenment it may be a first step to enlightenment so all of these like CEO getaways now where they're all going to Peru and, you know, sitting with the mother, that's, that's, if you don't come back and align your business with your values and what you've learned from a spiritual standpoint, you haven't done shit. Won't make any difference. It won't make any difference to you, your life or their life. Further, um, if you, if, if you are still running a business or leading a business that is in some ways dehumanizing people, what you're doing is doing the thing that all spiritual masters have condemned is you're using wisdom as a tool of power rather than a tool of love. And this is why we say uh, at Massive, um, consciousness changes the dynamics of power. And so you could, using your word, enlighten, enlightenment or enlightening changes the dynamics of power. And it's that, it's that, being an enlightening leader in the business world will make you more creative. It will make you unfuckable with as it relates to darker forces that don't want you to be successful. It Absolutely. will make you more empathic and empathetic, which are two separate things. Um, it is everything that a leader needs in order to run a human centric business, which all yeah. businesses are human centric now, just so many of them suck at it. Um, and so it is in some ways to put it in modern business language, the ultimate competitive advantage, except yeah. it's not being treated as an advantage or, and it's not seen necessarily as competitive by the person experiencing it, but it really is 
it is out there. So yeah. last thing. Well, it's, it is why I think uh, the younger generational leaders are better equipped to uh, to lead this charge, quite frankly, because they didn't have the training said poorly, uh, you know, that I had growing up in the industry world. And <clears throat> the young people today, because of social media and other vehicles, uh, are like every generation changing society. And more young people end up in more senior leadership positions today than they did 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so right. they, in my humble opinion, are the ones like the Brian Cheskies of the world who are going to start to drive the change more rapidly. And that CEO group I was talking about was called the Business Roundtable. You can look it up. But yes, if you're just putting it on paper, but not behaving consistent with it, there's a term we have for that, and it's called hypocrite. <laughs> yes, there right? is. Yes. Um, so that's also what it looks like to not be an enlightening leader. Right. All right. So last thing uh, before we sign off here is, did I say anything that either of you want to challenge? Well, I, I think I understand what you meant in the earlier conversation about reality. But okay. I just wanted to push back a little bit because just the, I know you said capital R. So I think you're, I think you're recontextualizing the word reality. Um, uh, but yeah, I wanted to push back a little bit about that because an enlightening leader, while an enlightening leader must pay attention to what's occurring in reality, that is not where they're sourced from. Yeah. What I'm is it where they're focused on. Right. right. But this is the nuance here is that, it goes back to this quote's been attributed to a lot of different people, but we are spiritual be beings having a human experience. Right. And that when you look at, and again, this is my own study and journey of spiritual spirituality is coming from the school of Thomas Merton and Richard Rohr and more of the, the Christian, um, the, the Christian mystics, as it were, of this idea that, um, and this goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, this kind of thinking around the fact that what we're being told is reality, even at a physics level, isn't reality. Like things are solid. Well, there's space between everything as an example. And it, it's, it's, and it's, so for me, when I think of enlightening, being an enlightening leader, it's that connection to the thing that is the most real thing in existence, which is this spiritual realm. That's far more real than anything that's happening in the material world. That's that's what I meant. But I th thank you for the opportunity to clarify. Yeah, I thought I thought that's what you meant, but I wanted to make it even yeah, clearer. I'm glad you did. People who yes. are listening. Yeah. And part of that, by the way, part of that, by the way, I use that term is because I'm as a linguist and a language nerd, I'm trying to take backwards to the original meaning, like chaos and stoic. Those aren't those aren't bad things, or they're not. Does, stoic doesn't mean emotionless. Uh, chaos isn't a bad thing. It's a right. you know so. Um, and the other thing too, Justin, I'm glad you said we're spiritual beings having human experience, because while you and Alan and I know that quote, that you mm -hmm. could say is the number one quote of being an enlightening leader, Right, is that you know that, but you live from it. And I was taught a long time ago from the masters that I work with, that we live in the world. 
but we are not of the world. Yeah. And you've got to know that as an enlightening leader, every moment of every day, we must live in the world, but we are not of this world. Right. Um, which, do you guys have anything that you heard the other person say that you want to debate real quick? No, I love everything Alan said. <laughs> <laughs> and and likewise, but it, is, to it, hear is, that. <laughs> it is funny that I, I too uh, keyed on uh, the reality word. And, uh, you know, as I'm thinking about it, um, you know, my, my older son taught me something when he was going off to college. And that was, you know, he, he had talked about wanting to be a philosophy major, which I was a little nervous about at the time. And with the contempt of 17 year old who's smarter than his father has, uh, he said to me, you know, your finance degree, they taught you what to think, not how to think. Yeah. And the truth is, he's right. Yeah. Most of us grew up going to school and majoring in subjects that teach you what to think about that subject, whether it's marketing for you, finance for me, uh, fill in the blank, engineering for someone else. The liberal arts, and of course, philosophy is part of that. The liberal arts teach or help young people uh, learn uh, to think. And I actually heard in a, in a, a professorial uh, talk, which was called The Last Lecture, it actually teaches people that you have a choice in what you want to think about. Mm -hmm. And the enlightening leader's journey is an opportunity for people to explore and it, the oneness of spirit and leadership and an opportunity mm -hmm. to think about and explore something that they haven't thought about before. They weren't taught this. It wasn't even in the conversation. So fundamentally, you in order to participate in this program or this offering, it really requires someone to be introspective and in an exploration mode about there's got to be something more than what I've been doing here. Yes. And I'll link to that in the And that's show not reality, by the way. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, guys, this was, I mean, again, this is a topic that is timeless and therefore to wrap time around, it seems sort of silly, but it is what it is uh, in that case. Um, I'll link to the, the, experience that you guys are putting together uh, next year, early next year. Um, I'll link to your website, your LinkedIn profiles and all that. And um, I would say to the audience, if you know of someone if you, or if it's you that is a business leader that is waking up and you want some support, these two um, wonderful humans are your go-to people. I often say this, don't pay for answers, pay for guidance. And this is a Thank chance. Thank you for to having us. Justin. Thank you so much, Justin. You're welcome, guys. All right. Love you both. Love, Love you, you too.